Isn't it wonderful again to be together in God's presence and with one another? King David once said this, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. David didn't want to be on his own. He didn't want to be isolated from people. He knew that there was great strength in the company of God's people. And his heart's cry was to always be with those that loved the Lord, that joined with him to magnify his God and to exalt his name. That's what we've done this morning when we made a decision to come here together. We don't want to be on our own. We don't want to be scattered abroad. We don't want to be isolated from one another. We want to be together. And that's why we're in this place today. Because together, collectively, our hearts cry is to be with one another. That's why we're here. Have a look around the room. See who Jesus has seated you next to. All of us are from different walks of life, different experiences, are at different seasons in our lives. Some of us are doing really well today, really happy. Everything's going good. Everything is well. Some of us, things aren't going so well today. We're going through a tough time and things are difficult. But irrespective of the season that we are in today, irrespective of what is happening in our lives, we've all made a quality decision to come into the house of God. From wherever we have come from, we've come here and decided to be together because we don't want to be apart from one another. Jesus has joined us together as his body. Jesus has called us out. That's what it means, the word church. It's the word ecclesia. It means to be called out and called towards one another. We made a decision, but behind that decision was the mysterious moving of God, calling us together from all different parts of the country, others from different parts of the world, calling us to 69 Lower Dock Street of all places into the King's Church. It's a wonderful work. You decided to be here, but strangely and mysteriously, God moved you to come here. And it's a wonderful thing. It's a, it's a glorious thing, and we never take it for granted. I thank God that I came into this place today, yes, to experience God, but I came here to be together with God's people. I made a decision. I wasn't going to stay at home. I wasn't going to isolate myself and worry about all of the pressing news. No, the church of God is still open. The church of God is still a wondrous, glorious, mysterious, mystical place called His body where we experience jointly together His wonderful presence. We together today. Well done for getting here after a tough week, 
after a good week, after a challenging week. Well done, people of God, family of God, for making it your first priority because it needs to be. It really does. Amidst many, many troubles, the writer to the Hebrews, to believers, said this, don't forsake the assembly of saints as is the manner of some. Don't forsake the house of God in times like this. I know there's concerns, but you know what? Always let it be a priority in your heart, like we've done this morning. To be together, there's something wonderful about magnifying the Lord and exalting His name together. Amen. Why don't we give Him praise in this place? We give you praise, Jesus, for your wonderful, wonderful presence. And Lord, I give you praise for your people. I give you praise for their resilience. I give you praise for their undaunting decision that they make in the face of adversity, in the, in the midst of pressing circumstances. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that in such times as this, irrespective of how people feel, irrespective of what people go through, we thank you that our priority is to be together to magnify your name and to exalt it. And all God's people said, amen. Come on, let's appreciate our musicians. <laughs> Wonderful. Are you ready for God's word this morning? I trust you are. Rethinking your life is what we are looking at again today. And we're going to focus on some incredible words this morning that the Apostle Paul wrote when he wrote to believers in Philippi. He was calling them to rethink how they were living and calling them to think about what they were thinking about so that they might rise above the pressing fears and the belittling troubles that faced them. Circumstantially, when Paul wrote his letter to the church at Philippi, he was in probably one of the darkest moments of his life. There were big questions about the Apostle Paul's future at the time of writing. Because when Paul wrote this letter, he was in prison in Rome awaiting trial. And it would be easy for us to assume that Paul would be greatly distressed by his circumstances, panicking, even pleading with his hearers to do everything within their power to fight for his freedom. Yet throughout this letter, Paul's attitude of mind is buoyant, strong, and healthy. He's not downcast. He's not depressed. He's not writing a sorrowful letter. As he sees the end approaching, Paul is joyful, rejoicing in the dire circumstances that, all, that are all about him because he sees them as furthering the gospel that he preaches. Paul, throughout this letter to the church at 
Philippi is calling them into joyful, victorious life that triumphs over crisis, that triumphs over every circumstance. Listen for a moment to some of the confident confessions that Paul makes in this letter as he's chained to a Roman soldier imprisoned in Rome awaiting sentence. In Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, he says these words, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul was in a dungeon. Paul was imprisoned. Paul was locked up and bound up, awaiting sentence. And yet he understood, even in that imprisoning situation in which he was in, he understood that Christ had begun a good work in him, and he would finish that work that he had begun. Then he continues on in Philippians 4, verse 4, by saying this, Rejoice in the Lord. Always, again, I will say rejoice. This man, this apostle, who had an incredible revelation of Jesus, is at one of the lowest, the most darkest moments of his life but he's not cowering or backing off. He discovered a wonderful new life in Christ Jesus. He's conquering circumstance. Further down in the same chapter, Philippians chapter 4, Paul completely unmoved by the intense personal crisis that's facing him says these words, Philippians 4 verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. These aren't the words of a man who's panicking or gripped by anxious fear. Paul is confident, filled with joy as he finds his new life and his very strength to face life in Christ Jesus. Now amidst the mix of these great confessions, Paul brings out another declaration that's equally as glorious and reveals his attitude to everything that's happening around him. In Philippians 4, verse 6, and we'll read it in a moment, but this is the main statement that we're going to center around this morning, and I'm sure you know it well. Philippians 4, verse 6, Paul openly says this, be anxious for nothing. Four words, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for Nothing. I remember when I first heard those words as a young teenager. And in my heart, I said, that is ridiculous and impossible. How is it possible to go out into a life that is full of care, that is full of worry, that is full of concern? with an attitude of be anxious for nothing. That's ridiculous. And of course, it is impossible. Of course, it is ridiculous without Jesus Christ at the center of your life. It's completely impossible to live such a life. It's completely impossible to have such an attitude of heart and mind, to face life with all of its complexities, 
with such expectation. But I later found out it was possible with Christ. Like Dave said, what a disturbing statistic, but very true. 80,000 thoughts we think on average every day of our lives, and 80% of all of those thoughts are either rooted in worry, fear, anxiety, or care and concern. A disturbing statistic that is very true, very true. But oh, the life that Jesus has died to give us. Oh, the life that Jesus loves to see manifest in our lives and in our minds and in our hearts. It's found here in these words that Paul speaks. Be anxious for nothing, he says. Let me read it to you, Philippians 4. We're going to read from verse 6 to verse 7. Be anxious for nothing. Now he's in a prison cell, chained to a Roman soldier. He's already said, I'm more than a conqueror through Christ who strengthens me. He's already said, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. He's already said, I'm confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in me will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, and now he's coming out with another wonderful confession, a wonderful reality, a supernatural reality that's been given to every believer in Christ. And he writes to this church and he says, remember, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer, and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You have access to God. Don't ever, ever take that lightly. Open access to God. Peter, on another occasion, says, I've said this many times because it encourages me greatly. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayers. You have open access to God. You have His attention. He doesn't ignore you. You're special. You're blood-brought. You're a holy nation, a royal priesthood called by God, the very body of Christ. You have access. You have attention. His ears are open to your prayers, and His eyes are on you. That's how much He loves you. In everything you can pray. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Let your requests be made known to God. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Paul, in the face of many troubles, in the face of great uncertainty all about him, was completely untroubled. Completely untroubled by all of the trouble. What a way to live. What a way to live. We have to ask ourselves the question, is it possible to live a life like this? Yes. Do we live a life like this? 
Sometimes God wants us to live in the fast lane. In the fast lane where there's no care. In the fast lane where there's no worry. In the fast lane where there's no fear. Where we're going forward and achieving with great expectation and great excitement all of the dreams that He's placed in your heart. Not to run around in the rut of routine, sweating and carefully working and trying to control everything. No, God wants you in the fast lane, in the jet stream, so that you're going where He wants you to go with your life, doing what He wants you to do without a care in the world, free of all anxiety, free of all care. This is the life that Paul was pointing to when it came to the church at Philippi. This was the life And the power of this life that Paul was opening up and declaring was available for every believer in Christ Jesus. Bible scholars point out that the structure of the grammar in the Greek language that Paul uses clearly shows us that Paul is giving a command to believers at Philippi. He's prohibiting the continuation of an action and a way of thinking that's habitually in place among them. The Philippian believers were full of care, full of anxiety, and Paul commands them from his dark prison cell to stop and think about what they are thinking about when he says, do not be anxious about anything. He puts the brakes on and he commands them to stop everything and think about how they're thinking. It's what scholars call a present imperative command. So if anybody asks you this morning after this meeting, what did you learn about in church? You can say to them, I learned about a present imperative command in the Bible. It's a present imperative command that's very important that we must not treat lightly. Paul is calling for long-term commitment in attitude and action where anxiety has absolutely no place in your life life. It's not a suggestion or an option that he is giving. This way of life has to be taken up and followed immediately. His words are written in the continuous present tense. So it's a continuous moment-by-moment operation of the mind to never entertain anxiety again. What a standard to live at. What a standard to live at. Now all of us may be thinking, oh my God, I don't know if I can do this. Well, Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit and one of his names is Helper. Helper. I will send to you. Jesus said when he talked about the Holy Spirit in John 14, 15, and 16, he talks, one of the, one of the beautiful pictures he gives to us about the Holy Spirit is this. He's your Helper. Imagine having divine help on hand 
on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, through to Sunday, every day of the week, 365 days of the year, 24-7, on-hand help. The helper is there for you, and he will enable you to fulfill this, this wonderful command and to live in this wonderful freedom, never to entertain anxiety again. That's what Paul is pointing to for us all to live in, in this life in Christ. This word anxious or anxiety that Paul uses literally means to fall to pieces. That's what he's talking about. It's a disquieting and tormenting way of thinking, weighed down by mental cares, under constant distress and trouble. It means to be divided, to be drawn away in many different directions in mind and emotion. So when Paul commands us, do not be anxious, he's going to the very heart of how we think, what we entertain, what we listen to, and what we hold to in our minds. He's saying, don't allow yourself to be tormented or disquieted in your mind anymore. Don't be drawn away into all kinds of different directions mentally. Another disturbing picture that comes from these words, worry and anxiety, is of being mentally strangled or in a chokehold, slowly suffocating from the bombardment of thoughts that hit your mind. That's a disturbing picture. And I dealt with this a number of months ago when we spoke about Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6. It's of a person being ravaged or bitten. When you're anxious, when you're fearful, when you are worried, it's like a vulnerable animal being surrounded by a pack of wolves ready to descend on it, to ravage it, to destroy it. Jesus tells us, Matthew chapter 6, we looked at it a number of months ago and I've mentioned it numerous times. He said this, Matthew chapter 6, Therefore I say to you, do not worry. Paul in Philippians 4 verse 6 repeats that again by saying, do not be anxious. These aren't just passing comments. These aren't just suggestions. They're commands for us to live by, for us to think about what we think about and address it. This man was living his life to the full in Christ Jesus. And the key into this perfect peace that Paul talks about was, of course, prayer. Prayer's the key. We don't have to have perfect life conditions to experience God's surpassing peace in our mind and in our heart. There doesn't have to be an absence of conflict and trouble. 
No, sometimes in the midst of very difficult life circumstances, in the midst of conflict and trouble, we find a peace that pervades all circumstance. The moment that we begin to pray and allow God to take charge of our hearts and our mind. Imagine never being worried or plagued by fear or anxiety ever again. Never worried about your health. Never worried about your finances or the bills that you need to pay. Never worrying about your family or your children. Never worrying about the critical remarks or condescending looks of other people or their subliminal messages that point to you over various forms of media. Never worried and concerned by what's going on around you and outside of you. Never again carrying the mental cares or burdens of life in your mind or emotions. Not for one hour, not for one minute, not for one moment. Completely free to live as the wonderful person that God has created you to be. Paul directs everyone to turn their anxious cares into prayer. You may be anxious today. You may be worried today, concerned today. Well, do what I do. When I feel worried and anxious and full of care, turn to Him and pray. Turn your care into prayer. And peace will come. It really will. Peace will pervade the circumstance and it will surpass your mind, your understanding to comprehend and you will live in a wonderful place knowing that He's near, knowing that He's with you. Do you want to worry less? Somebody said, do you want to worry less? Then pray more. Pray more. God's help is but a prayer away. You haven't got to work it out. You haven't got to carry the burden of it. That's the profound advice that Paul gives us in the words that he speaks in this letter. Jesus had absolutely no doubt at all when it came to the power of prayer and what it achieves in our lives. Matthew 21, verse 22, Jesus says this, And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. I mean, am I going to argue with that? Are you going to argue with that? Now, it may not go all the time in that way. But I tell you now, his words are true. Our experience must submit to his word, his declaration. And our expectation must be in what he has spoken. Whatever things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. What a wonderful way to live life. What a wonderful way 
to live in relationship and in union with God. Remember reading a story years ago about that great preacher from Yorkshire, Smith Wigglesworth. What a guy. And he was preaching in a, in, in a, in a meeting one night, message about faith. And everybody was encouraged. And in mid-flow of his message, a man came walking down the center of the aisle with a handful of bills. Came to the front, turned to Wigglesworth and turned to the audience and said, Wigglesworth, you can talk it, but you don't walk it. Because all of these bills in my hand, you owe. You owe me on these and you have not paid. You've defaulted. You talk about faith, you can't even pay your bills, Wigglesworth. Do you know what he said? He said, give me those bills. Now, I'm not advising you to do this, right? It's a story, a true one. But you've got to have the faith and the relationship with God to back it up. He took the bills, openly and publicly before the man, he ripped them all up and threw them behind his back and said, they're not my problem, they're God's, and carried on preaching, <laughs> ignoring the problem. I mean, my God, you've got to have faith to do that. The guy storms out in anger, and Wigglesworth carries on preaching. At the end of the service, a man comes running in, again down the aisle. All of the congregation are there still. And he said, Mr. Wigglesworth, Mr. Wigglesworth, I'm sorry that I missed the service, but I had to come into this meeting because the Holy Spirit has been pressing me to give you this money. He handed Mr. Wigglesworth the money. They counted the money. It was exactly, it was exactly the amount that the, that the bills needed to be paid. Wigglesworth took the money and he said, it's not only a spoken word, it's a believed word that delivers. This word delivers. It delivers. It really does. This is not Aesop's fables. This is not some story from Walt Disney, friends. This is the living word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. And if any man, woman or child, will believe it and take it by faith, you will have all of heaven respond on your side to deliver. It really does deliver. It'll take every care. It will lift every burden. It will provide every need for you. Because he is the God. The great I am who is more than enough, more than enough for your need, more than enough for our worried souls, more than enough. That's his commitment. That's his covenant pledge to every one of us. It really is. He loves us so much. Paul was praying in prison. Circumstances weren't changing quickly. He had peace, irrespective of whether circumstances were going to change or not. Peace. Circumstance couldn't break it apart. Circumstance couldn't destroy it. 
It was a peace that passed understanding, and he was communicating this to the believers at Philippi, wanting them to enter into such peace. Furthermore, Paul said, it was a peace that guards. It guards your heart and your mind. This word guard that Paul uses is the Greek word phoreo, and it was used to typify a company of soldiers that are keeping watch over a city, policing it, protecting it against any enemy advance. There's a peace that's guarding your heart. There's a peace that's guarding your mind, child of God, policing it, protecting it against any enemy advance. Oh, it is well with your soul this morning because of the peace of God. The Prince of Peace lives in you and sets up God around you against all of those troubling thoughts, against all of those worrying concerns, against all of those fears and cares that the world would want to put on you. Jesus, in the midst of the storm, whether it's on a raging sea that seems out of control that's going to sink the boat, or whether it's in the storm of your soul, stands up and says, peace be still. Waves obey his word and fear bows to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The people of God will not live under fear. The people of God, the children of God will not live under disquieting, tormenting thoughts. The people of God are free, free indeed, Jesus said, to live in the abundant life that Jesus Christ has given you. Be anxious for nothing, child of God. Go out into life expectant. Go out into life amidst those hard, difficult circumstances with confidence in your heart. Oh, the circumstance might not change quickly. The circumstance may seem stubborn, but you are more resilient. Greater is he that lives in you than he that is in this world. The very spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead will quicken, the Bible says, your mortal body. You're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who strengthens you. Hallelujah. This is the wonderful, glorious life that God has called every believer into. You're the very temple of the Holy Ghost. You really are. He guards us. And then finally, finally, Paul helps us by practically instructing us how to think. And he does it in this same chapter. Philippians 4, and we're going to come to a close in just a moment. Philippians 4, verse 8 to verse 9. He says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts. You see, he makes it their responsibility. We can't evade responsibility. We have to take responsibility for our mind, the way that we think, what we watch, what we speak, what we entertain. Take responsibility for it. If you feel downcast, there's a reason. There's a thought behind it, a series of thoughts. 
take responsibility for it. You've been called to have a joyful life, not a sad, sorrowful, silent life. No, a joyful life. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You say, well, Dave, it's hard. I know. I know more than you. It's really hard. It's even harder than hard. It's impossible. But I'm telling you, we are to access the life of Christ in us and to stand up and reign in life. God doesn't want us living in a pitiful way, defeated emotionally, defeated. And there are hard things. I'm not talking about grieving. I'm not talking that there are times where we need to grieve. Of course, we grieve with those who grieve. People have grieved with me. We're not talking about grief here. We're talking about a habit of thinking that needs to be broken and addressed. Take responsibility, Paul says, for the way that you think. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. Assess everything that you watch on TV through that filter. You probably have to turn off 99.9% of TV. Well, just throw it in the bin. It don't matter. Through this filter, examine what you look at on your phone, what you read at in the, what you read of in the news. Is it true? Is it honourable? Is it right, pure, lovely, and admirable? These are the things that I am to think about. Is it? Excellent. Is it worthy of praise? You say, oh, Dave, I can't be bothered with all of that stuff. Well, why is he saying this? He doesn't want your precious mind to be damaged. He doesn't want your imaginations to entertain things that will grow in your life that will bring you harm. He wants you to examine everything you see, think, and say through this filter. Is it true? No, it's not. Well, I'm not watching it. Is it honorable? Is it right and pure, lovely, admirable? If it's not, if it's got any tinge of being anything outside of that, off it goes. It's not legalism, friends. It's life. It really is. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the peace of God will be with you. That's what I want. I want the peace of God to be with me. And you do too. Let's go forward with that filter. Let's go forward with that expectation. Let's go forward living this new life that Christ has died 
and been raised to give us. Amen? Amen. Before the musicians come, when I was a kid, on one occasion, my mom and dad came to me and said, Dave, it's your birthday. What would you like for your birthday? You've been a good boy. I was always a good boy, wasn't I, Mom? I was. I mean, look at me. You wouldn't expect anything else other than good, would you? I was good. I was well-behaved, did well at school, fantastic. I mean, brilliant. Me and Tony, Tone, we're just good boys, aren't we? Fantastic. Just go on holiday with him to Spain. You'll see how good he is. I tell you what, good. He puts shopping in other people's baskets and then runs off. He's like a, I t- well, we, go into, we booked a holiday to go to Spain next year. And I'm, I can't wait, Tone. I, I just, I, I am in awe. I just watch him go shopping. He's, in, he's fantastic. No, me and Tony are really good. So I, my mum comes up to me, Dave, what, Dad, excited. What do you want for your birthday, son? You've been a good boy. I said, I know what I want for my birthday. What? A golden eagle. A golden eagle, my dad said. I can see him looking at my mother now. Diane, he wants a golden eagle. Yes, a golden eagle, I said. That's what I want. I, I could just see myself walking around with the boys after school. The golden eagle on my shoulder. Come on, golden. What are we going to do today? Is that a golden eagle you've got, Dave, on your shoulder? Yes, it's a golden eagle. That's what I want, Dad. That's what I want, Mom. I really want a golden eagle. Well, they got me the next best thing, a blue budgie. (laughs) A blue little budgie called Joey. Joey the budgie. Oh, he's a lovely little bird. The trouble was Joey couldn't fly. He was in his cage, and he would hop from his perch, and on his little swing, he'd climb around his cage all day long. He wasn't a golden eagle. He was a little blue budgie, the next best thing to a golden eagle. Well, one day, I thought, my goodness, I'm going to learn Joey how to fly. I can't have a golden eagle. I've got a blue little budgie. At least we can get him to fly around the room. I opened the door, and I was expecting Joey to be excited. The door's open for the first time. Now he can come out into a bigger environment, start to fly. Joey didn't even go near the door, even though the door was open and I could see him because I was very experienced in bird psychology. I could see his eyes like that and his little beak going like that. He was, he was intrigued, but he was not going to go near that open door. No, no, no. I'm not going through there. So, over a period of time, we left the door open. He wouldn't come out. So, this one day, I thought, you know what? I love Joey so much. I'm going to give him a little helping hand. I put my hand into the cage. Joey just goes absolutely crazy. This little kind bird that sang songs. And I actually learned him to talk. He could, I, I learned, I think he just got fed up in the end. Me and my mum repeating it. Joey, boy. That's what he used to say, Joey boy. If you need your budgie trained, come and see me. I can, I can teach him to talk. Yeah, Joey boy, he used to talk. 
and went in. I thought, I'm going to help Joey. And he went crazy. He, I, I managed to, to, to take hold of him gently, but he started to bite my, my hand and, and scram me with his little claws, trying to stay in his cage. He wanted that confinement. That's where he was safe. He didn't want to come out into a bigger environment. But my hand had him. I was holding him gently. And I thought, Joey, not thy will be done, but my will be done, champion. You're coming out into a bigger environment. And we're going to get you to fly like a golden eagle, Joey, on the highlands of Scotland sat down. It was a big living room. We sat down on the sofa, and I, I gently opened my hand, and Joey was there. Now he's not writhing. Now he's not panicked. He's quiet, looking round, walking on my leg. I mean, it was just incredible to see, even as a kid. I picked him up, and I held him in my hand like that, and he knew I knew he knew. He knew that if he wanted to get back to the confinement of his cage, he'd have to fly from the sofa over a bigger space, over a bigger environment towards his cage. When he took his first flight back towards confinement, in midstream, mid-flow, suddenly he must have experienced freedom for the first time. Freedom in a bigger environment, in a bigger space. He went towards his cage, but up beyond it, he started to fly around in the living room. I was so excited. Joey, Joey, go for it, boy. Flying around, and then he went up onto the curtain rail. Then he went down onto the countertop. He came back on the sofa, and he's flying around. You couldn't get him back in the cage, even if you'd have wanted him, even if you'd have wanted to. I held up my hand like I would have if I'd have had a golden eagle. I said, come on, Joey boy. And he landed on my hand. Then he went up on my shoulder. Then he was flying around again. And in the end, he was landing on my head. Experiencing freedom for the first time. But it took my hand to go into his confinement, his fear, care and anxiety and bring him out into a bigger, larger space. I think, well, I know that God is doing that with most of us. He's coming into our confined space. He's coming into our fears, our anxieties, and our cares with a gentle but powerful almighty hand that is strong, holding us, and we might be writhing. We, we might be fighting. We, we, we might be panicking and shouting and screaming and even biting God with our comments. But God doesn't care because he knows where he's taking us. And he's bringing us into a bigger space, into a bigger place, into a greater environment. Beyond our confines, beyond our fears. Why? Because he loves us and he knows that there's more in us. 
more beyond our fears, more beyond our anxieties, more beyond our insecurities, more beyond all of life's concerns. It's called abundant life, His life, that He's called you to live, to reign in this life. There's more to you than meets the eye, child of God. You're the very workmanship of God in Christ Jesus. You're not just you as as you know you were. No, you are who God calls you to be. You're His handiwork. You're His workmanship. You might not feel like it on a Monday morning. You might not look like it when you look at yourself in the mirror, but there's more to you because He has a covenant with you, and He's bringing you out into a bigger place beyond your fears, beyond your containment and confinement, into a greater dimension of life. For some of you, it's a new relationship or new relationships. You've been hurt and you've backed off because of hurt and pain. But no, he's not going to leave you in your hurt and pain. He's going to bring you through and bring you out and take you beyond into new relationships that can be trusted, that are good. Are you going to get hurt in the future? Certainly. Yes, definitely. But you're going to be stronger, more abled, more strengthened to walk on through. For some of you, it's planting and rooting yourself in a local church. You've been hurt, damaged, and let down previously in other churches. Maybe this is the place where you want to lay your roots down. Are you going to get hurt in the future? Well, from experience, I can certainly say yes, and I'm the pastor. I've been hurt by people and certainly hurt people and had to apologize to them just being up front. Am I going to get hurt in the future? Disappointed? Yes. Am I going to hurt and potentially disappoint people? Certainly. It's just called being a human being. We fail, we falter, we sin, and we need forgiveness from one another. But we can't stay confined in the cage. We've got to come out, root down. It might be serving or working in a local church. You did it before, you tried it once before, or you did it for a long time, and then, you, it, you know, you just got slapped across the face, and you were treated really wrong. Maybe God, or in coming months, will call you to do that again. And you're going to be faced with a choice. Is it worth it? Am I going to come out of confinement? Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Because you're resilient, and the life of Christ is in you. And even if you get hurt, and even if you get wounded... Do you know what? You're going to go on because you're not doing it for the applause of man. You're doing it to be well-pleasing to God. That's why you're doing it. You're going to serve Him. You're going to serve Him. Whatever it is, whatever it is, His hand comes in to that confining space. You could be watching from home today, afraid to come back to church. I've never said this over the last 18 months because I respect wherever people are at, wherever people are at in their, in their personal walk. I know that there are numerous people who are struggling to get back to church at the moment. It's a very real thing. 
What's happened? And you know, it breaks my heart. Sometimes we, we were talking about this as a staff just this week. When people have come back and they've talked to Faye or I, do you know one of the first things they've said? Sorry I haven't been here. You don't have to be sorry. We've been in a world pandemic. We've been isolated from one another. We've all carried fears. We've all had anxieties. We've all wondered what's going to happen. This is very real. We're not having a register here. Who's? I know you've got to sign in and sign out. But, but you know, we're not keeping a register. That's just a requirement because we want to do what's right legally to help in this effort. But you know what? We don't have a register and never had a register here as to who attends. All are welcome. And whether they come frequently or infrequently, I would always hope that we give people the same level of care. It's really important. People don't have to apologize when they come back to church. My God, it's been really tough. And there are people at home today because they're still struggling. Let's pray for our brothers and sisters. Let's hold them up in prayer and encourage them in the time, in the right time for them to make that step back into the house of God. Because like we said at the beginning, we want to magnify the Lord and exalt His name together. Amen. Now, we don't have to apologize we pray for one another, but I believe we're in a season, and I don't know how this works out for you, but his hand is going in to the confinement. Don't be anxious about anything. I'm bringing you out into a bigger space. I'm bringing you out to be everything that I've called you to be. It could be a, a, a more responsibility in work. It could be your teenagers are growing up, and you, you feel a distance. And they are needing to feel their own feet and be independent. And you're reticent to let them go. I, do you know what I say to my children? They've got all of these wonderful dreams and I love it. When I'm 16, I'm going to live in London. Or I'm going to live in America. And I, I said, no, no, no. What do you mean, Dad? You can leave this house when you're 44. <laughs> and not before. Me and your mother, we want you in this house. You can get married in this house and you can stay in this house with your husbands. We don't care. That's a joke. No, they may, they may be feeling their feet, needing their own independence. God's taking them out of maybe the restrictions and the boundaries that you've rightly had in place, but now they're growing beyond them and needing to step over that border. It's a big thing. It's a big thing. Just got to trust God. Don't be anxious. Don't pressure them. Don't worry. Pray for them. Pray for them. And you'll see the very prayers and the concerns that you carry to God outworked in your children's lives before your very eyes, and you've not said a word to them. But like Paul said, you've let your requests be made known to him. Amen. Amen. I'm going to pray and ask the musicians to come. You are very precious to God. Your life is very precious. He loves you so much. And Paul, and I hope I haven't said the words that I've said to you this morning coldly, because 
I've battled big time with anxiety. I've battled big time with fear. So I know what it's like. I've had depression. I've had a lot of things that I wouldn't want anybody else to have. But you know what? It's been necessary for me to walk that road so that I can help others. It really has. So please, I'm not talking glibly or casually about this this morning because I know some of you are very anxious in heart, worried in mind, carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. We're going to pray. That's what we're going to do. We're going to pray and we're going to give our cares in prayer to the one who will take them up to himself and give us perfect peace. He'll help us stay our mind on him. He'll help us think about things that are true, things that are honorable, things that are good, things that are pleasant, things that are excellent. These are going to be the things that we are going to think on, not all of the other stuff. We're going to set our minds and think, fi fix our thoughts on those things. He's going to help us. He really is. Lord, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, you love us so much. I pray for your glorious, wonderful peace to rest in the very heart and mind of each person in this place. Young people, older people, I pray that it would guard our minds, it would guard our hearts, and we would not entertain anxiety or worry even for a moment, we would rise up and subdue it and make it captive and obedient to you. I pray this in Jesus' name for all of your people, for those who are here in this building, for those who are watching online. And Lord, we surrender to your will to your hand, bringing us out of our confinement, bringing us out of our limitation, setting us free to soar in a larger environment that you have created us to live in. And all God's people said, amen. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to sing right now. And listen, there may be somebody that you know really struggles with fear, really struggles with anxiety and worry, and they could do with a friend right now. Why don't you go to them after this service today? Encourage them. Be their friend. Be there for the long haul. Be a long haul friend to them and bring them through into maybe the strength that you have in Christ Jesus. Is that okay? Amen. Let's give Jesus praise. We're going to sing. God bless you. God bless you as you go today.